Welcome to the show, Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays talk about and review their favorite Star Wars content while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and we will never predict anything on this show ever again. Ever again? Ever again. We're done. We're done? We wield too much power, Bradley. So my theory this Okay, shut the fuck up. No, no, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. We're not doing this. For three weeks, for three weeks in a row, three weeks in a row, I have had to record some sort of stinger because we predicted something, and in the nine days between recording and the episode coming out, it fucking came true. I love it. I think we're either actually psychic, or we're just so in tune with, like, Disney CEOs, and we just know what they're gonna announce, like, uh, like There might that. be two weeks in a row, and then I'm, I'm lumping the Asajj of Interest thing in there as well, as us also having the gift eh, of prophecy. That's true. Like a delayed re- like we manifest we really did manifest that one into existence. That one, you're right, we did. We did that was entirely us. So you're welcome, Star Wars fans. The two gay men on their podcast willed Asajj Ventures back to life. That's, That's right. how it happened. Before we get started on today's episode of Ahsoka and Friends get shot at a lot, uh, I have a couple of things. This week on The Thing Charles Fucked Up. So if you remember our episode five, uh, because we do record these nine days in advance, so that was the last one to have come out at time of recording, I said that Wikipedia identifies the site of the first vision uh, that Ahsoka and Anakin are in, in the Clone Wars, as Teth. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't really buy that. I'm not sure where they're getting that. So I'm just dumb is what's going on. Because they say it's one of the first, what's one of our first missions together. And I was like, well, Ryloth is also one of their first missions together because they have four more seasons of mission after that. Apparently the the color scheme is Teth. Apparently the phase one clone troopers are the ones they had on Teth. Apparently you can see some sort of trees in the background uh, that were on Teth. Uh, So it's pretty clear visually that they were actually on Teth the whole time. I actually, I, I made Bradley cut about a minute of me scrolling through Discord out because I specifically wanted to call out the person who brought this to my attention. It was Aaron from the Dark Side Divas Discord. Hi, Aaron. Did was the one who brought this to my attention that um, the first part where they're running, quote, the first part where they are running is colored more purple and you can see trees faintly in the background. Ryloth, as you pointed out, has the Twi'leks and you can also faintly see rock formations that are unique to the planet, end quote. So that, that was just me being being wrong. So thank you, Aaron, for pointing out that I was wrong <laughs> so I could correct it. Uh, I do want to not necessarily correct myself as well, but also to sort of answer a question that I had in, I think, the last episode we recorded. I offhandedly mentioned not knowing which anthology, E and Convery, and I also do have to apologize. It's E and Convery, not Anne Convery. That one's my bad. That one's on me. Uh, e and which short story anthology, E and Convery's short story appears. It's actually the the Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark. It is the only short story in that anthology that is not uh, an adaptation of the episodes, which is why I got confused and unclear as to which anthology it was in. It is the Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark. And then finally, we have a new review on oh. a new five-star review. Love so that. as usual, I'm going to read it out on the show. This one's very, very simple, but very kind. And it is on Apple Podcasts. It comes from Valerie with a smiley face after Valerie. And it says, quote, Charles and Bradley are so much fun to listen to. I love your discussion 
questions and your perspectives on the things you cover. Definitely worth a listen if you're a big Star Wars nerd like me, lol. And then a smiley face, end quote. I like it. Thank you, Valerie, for the, the kind, kind review. All right, Bradley, you ready to be insufferable about this episode? Oh god, why? Because one, I really like this episode, and two, you really had a nightmare time trying to summarize. I'll probably try to say it in my thing I liked and disliked. Okay, you wanna you wanna take us in then to Ahsoka episode seven, part seven, Dreams and Madness. I remember the title this time. This week, Hera must answer to the New Republic, while far, far away, a reunion takes place. Charles, what's one thing you liked about this episode, and one thing you did not? I mean, discounting the first scene, which is my favorite scene in this entire show, hands down, easy, no question. Um, I really like the core concept of this episode. The idea of, of Thrawn sitting in his little middle of the spider web, kind of pulling all of the strings to sort of jerk Ahsoka around and just keep her moving and keep everybody on their toes and keep them away from him while he, you know, buys time. I really like that a lot. And, and while cutting around is going to be really irritating for Bradley, I also do understand why we have to keep cutting back to Thrawn. So we can see him because he's got these essentially several moving pieces all at once. And we're constantly coming back to him to sort of see him do it. And then at the end, he's like explaining, you know, this was my evil plan. We'll get, we'll get to that when we get to that. But I did really like that. One thing I disliked about this episode... There were a couple of scenes that I thought needed an extra minute or two, a little bit more dialogue, particularly the scene where Balin just sort of fucks off from Shen. Because I was watching, I was re-watching, I was expecting this big moment, but he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm leaving, and she's just kind of like, okay, cool. So that, and then like, maybe a little bit of extra time with Thrawn and Morgan, maybe a little bit of extra time with Huyang and Ahsoka in while they're sitting in the asteroid field and waiting, like that would have been a an opportunity more of an opportunity i don't know i felt like i felt like there were some tiny character moments that were missing from this episode that i thought could have been included in there so that's that's a minor nitpick i know because i i really like this episode a lot i really liked it a lot more on the second viewing it is a maneuvering people into place episode but it is literally that but it's a really good one like it's fine at what it wants to do what about you bradley one thing you liked and one thing you did not and one thing i liked about this episode was the we'll talk about it more in a minute but was the use of c-3po in using and bringing up leia's name without having to make her appear and that's all i'll say for now because i think we can talk about it more in a second i have a i have a note i have literally a note about that okay so we'll talk about that more in a second but that's one thing i really liked about the episode i thought it was very clever one thing i didn't like about this episode was it wasn't so much the structure of the episode that was making it hard for me to do notes it was just the fact that i i wanted i almost felt like this episode needed to just be like a little bit of last week's episode added on. I felt like the Sabine meeting Ezra stuff should have just been in the beginning of this episode and it should have just been a slightly longer episode because I feel like all kind of go together better and it just uh i just needed it. like this episode like you said last week this episode should have opened with sabine fighting the marauders or whatever because then it would have culminated in the very finale with them fighting the marauders again and then winning this time like it would have just been like a nice like i don't know mirror there but overall i mean i obviously we can't have two hour episodes unlike i want but whatever it's not a big deal section one on coruscant in a courtroom Hera faces scrutiny for her actions 
Senator Ziono accuses her of disregarding orders, but Hera argues she acted in the best interest of the New Republic. Amid the debate, C-3PO enters with a data transcript from Senator Leia Organa revealing her sanction of Hera's mission. Despite objections, the transcript resolves the issue and the court dismisses the proposed court-martial. In private, Chancellor Mon Mothma questions Hera about the threat of Thrawn's return, title card, dreams, and madness. So if you look in the opening shot, yeah, we're starting with the opening shot, by the way. <laughs> if you look at the opening shot, I I love this opening shot. I actually, when I watched it again, I played it back so I could watch the opening shot again. Okay. You can see the elevators that we kind of see in Andor and we see in uh, Attack of the Clones, like the elevators that move people around the planet. But you can also see the landing platforms from the prequels. You know, there's like floating landing platforms that they land on. You can actually see those. Shout out to Star Wars Episode One, which is apparently returning into theaters. There you go. Shout out. They they love throwing in prequel stuff, you know, randomly. I I saw a tweet on Twitter because it's called Twitter, by the way. Uh, It's not X. I don't care what Elon says. I saw a thing on Twitter that basically said, don't be surprised if you see an outpouring of love over the next couple of years for the prequels as we celebrate the anniversaries. A lot of millennials who were the target audience at the time have grown up and the opinions at the time were a lot of weirdo men on the internet being really mad, basically. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if this is prescient for the sequels here in about two decades i don't know that'll be it'll be interesting to see for sure i mean i i think we'll have to see how this response is for the prequels and see how good it is and then if it is like the same level of like oh my gosh yes the 25th anniversary for all these movies and everybody's freaking out and oh i've got to go see that in theaters again and da 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 and we start seeing all that i i almost guarantee that that'll same uh, that'll almost happen. certainly happen yeah, yeah. because Kids love the pre the sequels. Like kids love these movies. Of course, of course. So they're gonna grow up, and then they're gonna have podcasts, and then they're gonna be bitching about whatever the Star Wars that are doing twenty years from now because it's not the same Star Wars that they liked. And then the cycle repeats, as Balin says in the last episode. It goes on and on and on and on forever and ever and ever and ever. I was just, I just got like a vision of there's a there's a movie where Grogu is like dissatisfied with the current state of the Jedi, and he's like, I give up being a Jedi and. <laughs> he has to train his own animal. Not, not the Luke Skywalkerification of Grogu. That's the Mandalorian of Grogu is going to be that about. How funny with that? And it's and he's training uh, Mando's son or some bullshit like that. It's going to be oh something like, I don't know. I can't. Anyway. So we we hop into this courtroom scene. Again, I had to pause on the first scene, on the first shot of it. Because one, there's a lot of aliens. There's, there's like three or four aliens in this scene, which is very cool. And they're all different aliens, like an authority. There's an issue tip. There's a Moncala. I noticed they have a stenographer. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Sitting next to Hamada Ziono, kind of down a little bit, uh, you can actually see they have a court stenographer. Oh, that's cool. Which is a fun little detail. Then you think like, why do they need that? If like that was my thought. I was like, thing. exactly. I was like, <laughs> why do we? My first thought was, oh wow, they have a stenographer. My second thought was, why do they need a stenographer? <laughs> I was just thinking that. Don't they not have technology that just records the entire room, like just constantly? Like I, I don't know. It's one of those Star Wars things. We're just gonna have to go with it. Okay, sure, great. So we start with Hamada Ziono, and Hamada Ziono sucks. Like, this dude sucks ass. As he always does. He kind of starts out having a point where he's like, we do have rules for a reason. Like, you do need to follow those rules. This is not a rebellion anymore. Which, you know, not a bad point to make. 
Right. But on the other hand, he then proceeds to go off in the opposite direction. And then she's like, well, we actually did find things. And he's like, um, no, you didn't. Right. And that's a little iffy there because it's like it's it's like the classic sh- cop shows that you see on TV where it's like the main character or something doesn't follow the chief's orders or something. But then they right. end up saving the day or doing something right in the end because they did it their way kind of thing. They didn't go about it the right way, but they ended up helping people or something in the long run. This is one of those moments where everybody was supposed to go, oh, so Thrawn is coming. Oh, OK, you were right the whole time, Hera. Great. And that just didn't happen. <laughs> Which kind of sort of like at the end, we'll get to it when we get to it. But I also do like that that was I do like kind of that that was not the resolution to it, right. that it wasn't just proving they found something on Cetos, because the issue, the point at issue here is not that Hera like found whether or not she found something on Cetos like that would have helped having Ahsoka there to testify would have helped because Ahsoka has a lot more weight because you know she's Ahsoka Tano but the pointed issue here was you know was her mission authorized was she able was she even allowed to do this then Hamada's just a dick for like just starts becoming a dick and I'm like oh okay so all of your good points about we have rules and we need to follow them so all the points I've been making about Mon Mothma's chancellorship uh, all those good points just flew right the fuck out the window right because he goes into this like dialogue about the transcript or whatever the report like is all fantastical and there's Jedis and there's space whales and he's like he makes it seem like those things don't exist and it's like sir we have a very extensive history of the galaxy like what are you talking about bro we have have rebellion people who literally saw both jedi and the space whales i I, i'm so confused at his like erasure of the prequels like he's almost like the jedi order never happened like it's really weird well it's so rebels kind of ran into this a little bit and you run into this so one of the things with the prequels is that it kind of makes it seem like everybody's interacted with the jedi and knows who there are there are like ten thousand jedi there are quadrillions of people in the galaxy galaxy that's true so some of them have never even seen it there's a scene in rebels you remember the scene where tarkin first shows up and he basically is dressing everybody down for fucking up for an entire season and then he makes a point to minister tua he's like hey so um have you ever actually seen a jedi and she goes well no but i've heard about them and he's like well i've actually met them and they sucked <laughs> kind of the same thing might be going on here Ziono might never have actually met a Jedi yeah, another thing that like might a... be going on here is that he's he's so hostile to anything that remotely resembles the old rebellion loves the new republic kind of hates the rebellion I'm thinking like he would have been born like during the prequels but he would have been like a child so he probably would have witnessed the empire taking over and then maybe that of because his parents were rich or something because he's a senator you know he probably would have been like oh our lives improved because of the empire and therefore the rebellion to him might be something like ooh like ooh that wasn't great but at least i came out of it okay kind of thing yeah i don't i don't think he likes the rebellion that much and yeah. well he's also not particularly a fan of the resistance uh we will find out later on but then most people in the senate aren't officially fans of the resistance right so we will i don't know he's he's got this weird sort of opposition to anything vaguely rebellionish or anything that doesn't fit into his boxes uh Speaking of Ziono being a dick, he me- he basically has this weird little line about how the Imperial Remnant is such a stupid name.
name. Did you notice that line, Bradley? I, he also dismisses it as just like a nothing. Like, oh, that didn't really. Wasn't the reason important. I'm pointing out that line is because the Imperial Remnant is what the post-Empire or post-Emperor Empire was called in Legends. Oh, okay. Like, that's that's what it was. The Imperial Remnant, known as just the Remnant and also referred to as the Imperial Remnants. Paleon's Empire, or the True Empire, uh, that was what, what it was called. I do like how Mon Mothma is trying to, like, almost, like, she's she's supposed to be the impartial judge, but she's almost kind of trying to play defense lawyer for Hera a little bit. Uh, yeah, like, she's almost like a representation and slightly because she was trying to defend her a little bit because who... Hera brings, does Hera bring up Mandalore or does Tiva bring up Mandalore? Uh, Tiva brings up Mandalore. That's my next, my next note. Okay. Yeah. So he Tiva brings, brings up, up Tiva brings up Mandalore. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Tiva who brings up Mandalore. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he brings it up and he's like, yeah, like uh, what happened to the last two episodes that I was just in, in the Mandalorian? Uh, what about that Ziono? And he's just like, fuck you. That was nothing. <laughs> yeah. Mon is over here trying to basically like kind of play defense lawyer and be like, well, I mean, Hera might have a point. She submitted her report. You know, we've read that. And Diana's like, shut up. That's not at all right. And then he he refers to Gideon in the past tense. So we know firmly that this is happening after the events of Mandalorian season three. Right. Then he recommends, because he's a dick, then he recommends Hera be court-martialed. Pause. I thought this was the court-martial. That's what I thought too. And then I was like, so this is just a hearing about having a court-martial? Yeah. So I checked it. <laughs> I kind of looked into it a little bit. I am not familiar with the military court-martial process right uh, i only know of it essentially my experience with the military court martial process comes from a few good men and old episodes of jag like this is my experience with it but it does seem to be that i think the confusion is it set up is because this hearing is set up as sort of the same way that uh a court martial would take place. Right. Uh, but it does seem to be that this is the preliminary hearing to the court martial that, that they're seeing if, because I remembered the previous episode and I didn't check. I think they said in a previous episode, this is a hearing to determine if she will be stripped of her command Got and it. face yes. court martial. I see. So it's, it's a hearing first and then they would just take her off as uh, yeah the thing. And then, yeah. And then they would be like, okay, now we're going to put you in jail. Okay. Got it. Correct. But Hera is saved from court martial by the arrival of fucking C-3PO. I'll take it. I mean, uh, it's definitely random, but sure. Come on in, Bradley, C-3PO. Who's playing C-3PO in this episode? C-3PO is credited as being play- portrayed by Anthony Daniels. You may or may not know who that is, as he is probably the only person to ever play C-3PO in the history of the far, far away galaxy. He has actually, this is, uh, I wrote down, this is his 12th live action action appearance as C-3PO if we don't count the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> he was in all of the Skywalker saga. He was in Rogue One and then he was briefly in the background of Kenobi and now he's in Ahsoka. I counted just randomly earlier. I counted just offhand how many times he has played C-3PO across movies, TV oh, episodes, all of it? made oh, for TV movies, video games and audiobooks. No, that's too many. By my count, and I could be mistaken here because I just went through and manually counted all of his credits on Wikipedia. By my count, 
he has portrayed C-3PO 81 times. That seems close, if not correct. Like, I mean, it's, if you have to think of like everything, I mean, radio dramas, Lego movies, uh, just random uh, voices in video games and everything. I mean, like literally everything you can possibly think of to hear C-3PO's voice, he's done it. Yeah, anything possible. His whole thing, like Anthony Angel's whole thing, is he basically got cast as C-3PO and then he would just turn up to do it. Every single time someone needed it done, he I would turn that. up to do it. <sighs> yeah, I'm looking at the, the Wikipedia page for C-3PO under the, the portrayal section and who has portrayed him. I don't see any other names listed here. Yeah, because I thought for a while there, they were like, didn't he say, I, or at least I thought that maybe this is propaganda, but I thought there was something where he said, hey, I'm not going to do it anymore. Like, I'll still do the voice, but like the body work is going to be done by a, a younger person because I'm yes. just getting up in eight. Yeah, no, he's, I don't think he's actually physically in the suit i don't think correct i i don't believe so either. i believe that is somebody else because but i yeah, can't he, tell you who because yeah, I, don't I can't see tell you who's anywhere. in the suit and i can't tell you uh i'm looking i'm really looking i mean i promise this i'm really trying to frantically google right now to see has literally anybody else voiced c3bo ever in anything and it would seem like the answer is no with the right. exception of people who are reading audiobooks in which C-3PO appears. Uh, that doesn't really count. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, if like if they're narrating the whole book. Yeah. Got if it. they're narrating it's not an audio the whole drama, book it's a, just he a happens narration. to be in it. I understood. Uh, he is also, fun fact for just me and no one else, uh, if you are a fan of the Ralph Bakshi adaptation of The Lord of the Rings, he's the voice of Legolas in that. Interesting. Crossover. He's also apparently a mime artist. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, but basically, if you scroll through his film and television history, his whole bag for his entire life, this man's career has just been playing C-3PO. Honestly, that's kind of the dream if you think about it. Like just getting one character in a major franchise and then playing them literally forever. I I mean, that's a consistent check, so I can't blame him. Yeah, and he doesn't even have to put on the suit all, most <laughs> of the time. He literally right. just shows up to the recording booth, does the C-3PO voice and fucks off with his paycheck. I, I love that. I good and who knows how much residual he gets in addition to that is true because <laughs> most actors like they get little mini residual checks but I'm trying to think like how many mini residual checks he's getting now because if he has done it over 80 times like that's 80 different checks so it's you also like, have to imagine Jesus. that you also have to imagine that one other thing to keep in mind is the character has appeared in 81 separate pe at least 81 separate pieces of material that's crazy. not even counting merchandising not not even counting other books and comics he appears in, in which Anthony Daniels has no involvement with. Not even counting. This is such an iconic character that, yeah, of course he just keeps coming back. Why Why wouldn't he? So if the droid story thing that we learned about years ago ever gets made, maybe he'll be in that. Too. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, you brought up at the beginning, and, and my next note here is, so this is kind of how they deal with the absence of Leia Organa. Yes. They, remember we mentioned early on that she's mentioned as covering for them on CTOS, uh, which comes up here, because there's recordings of, like, 
There's transcripts of uh, Leia authorizing the mission that have clearly been slightly doctored by her to cover for Hera. And I'm like, this is this is this is a really good way to deal with the fact you don't want to show Leia Organa on screen. It's very clever. I I actually like I was saying before. This is the one thing I really liked about the episode is that because of the fact that we can't show Leia or we just choose not to show Leia in any capacity, and but we still want to make her because she's still a major part of the um of the story at this moment because she is i believe they say the leader of the defense leader council. of the defense council right so she's very clearly very important to the story and what leads into the sequel series later on it's it's so clever of them to be like well if she can't physically show up in the media why not have literally the person whose job it is to communicate and protocol for her why not have him show up in her stead all the time that's genius and that's his whole thing. That's what he does. He's a protocol. He's her butler. Right. He She sends him to go talk to these committees because also he's programmed for this. He's not going to get frustrated. He's going to be perfectly polite the whole time. He's going to do his job. She trusts him. Like, I love this. I love that, that they found a way to include Leia in the story without do you fucking deep faking her onto someone's face oh yeah trying to do that i I could definitely see do that you know i'm i'm not opposed to recasting i actually love the idea of recasting but if you're not gonna recast writing the character into the story in in this way where they can directly impact the plot but they don't physically show up and through another beloved character who completely makes sense to be doing this i love that a lot i think this is one of the most brilliant moments of the show i agree that's how they did this i also love I love how when Hamada Ziono is like dismissing, first of all, dismissing fucking C-3PO, dude, 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 that man, that droid fucking survived more battles than you have ever been in. He's also older than you've ever been alive, so I don't understand. (laughs) That droid, C-3PO was at Endor, C-3PO was at Hoth. Right. C-3PO was it countless other engagements like that droid is a war hero calm the fuck down speaking of war heroes Chopper's like ready to square up Chopper <laughs> doesn't even like C-3PO yeah and I love how he he's almost like there it is a defense when Zeno is like well he well, we're not gonna take the word of a droid or we're not gonna listen to droids and then Chopper's like Aah. and Chopper's like, like how about you listen without ears <laughs> Do you want to? Do you want to be? Chopper really said, "Beat me in the Denny's parking lot." And the diva's got to hold him back. Like, whoa, whoa, calm down, little droid. Like, so good. I love it. They find Hera innocent because apparently whatever Leia did was good enough to convince them that no, she totally authorized them. It was just that darn bureaucracy getting in the way. And then Mon Mothma has to pull Hera aside. Fucking love this so much. I love I when love she goes this so much. I love that Mon Mothman goes, I know that Leia did not or uh, like authorize this mission. And then Hera's like, she did eventually. One, Mon's like, yeah, I know you guys are full of shit. <laughs> Two, like, don't deny that you have emotional investment in this, but I want you to be real with me right now. Right. Where are we at? Where are we with this thing? Like, because Mon, remember, we talked all the way back in Mon, in like Mon's first appearance in this show in episode three mon is the type of leader who will listen and consider everything everyone around her says and then make a decision so she's trying to listen to Hera here outside of the confines of the mission they have a moment to talk and she's like okay i love this i love this scene i love genevieve o'reilly in the role and or season two wrapped production this week 
Uh, so I'm excited to see her back in that. And I want her to keep getting money for portraying this character. I, you know, after Andor 2 is over and Ahsoka 2 eventually comes, I, I think this scene in particular sets up her return in the next one because in season two, only because she's like, so how real is this threat? And then once we know where Thrawn ends up at the end of this season, I feel like now Mon Mothma is going to have to get more involved because now the threat is real. And so yes, now she's going to show up. I agree. I, I think she's being set up for a big role in Ahsoka season two. I think she's being set up for a role in Heir to the Empire. Uh, that yeah that was my next thing i was gonna say she's gonna be a bigger part of that movie because she's she'll have to be she is the chief of state during the the thrawn trilogy novels in legends her writing is 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 star wars we're... in the past woman writing <laughs> yeah we're mm. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. Uh, join us in eventually when we cover the six Glove of Darth Vader books that we have now, apparently. I, I have the second omnibus, so we're good to go we, in the future. We have access to all of them. So join us the next time we run out of visual media when we do our six-part series on the Glove of Darth Vader. <laughs> and we get to talk about the dark prophets, the prophets of the dark side, oh, bidding God. their dark greetings. <laughs> Section 2. In hyperspace on her ship, inside the Purgle, Ahsoka trains with a holographic recording of Anakin. Huyang informs her of the Purgle nearing the end of their journey, and as the Purgle exit hyperspace, they encounter an Imperial minefield. Once they successfully navigate the field, the enemy deploys several starfighters after them. Ahsoka takes the ship into the debris field to avoid the attackers. So we do get more Anakin. I will say the de-aging does not appear to be as pronounced this time around. I think it's just because it's a hologram. They probably didn't I, I, it try. It really depends. It really seems to depend on the lighting. Right. Like how Anakin is lit, how well the de-aging works. Like, I don't know. It looks like I don't know if they even really tried with this one. And yeah, I think it is because it's a, he's a hologram. I think they knew that there was going to be essentially a filter over it. They were just kind of like, well, yeah, fuck it. Let's just we'll touch him up be. a little bit. Yeah, it's probably it's probably actually practical touch up rather than. Yeah, like D. That's what it appeared to me. <laughs> uh, but whatever. Who gives a fuck? Because Asajj Ventress gets name dropped. Uh, I remember watching this episode the first time it came out. And when he uttered the words Asajj Ventress in live action for the first time in the history of the galaxy, I I shit a brick. I really did. Because it <laughs> he was really did, guys. Guys, it he really did. You had to be there. I mean, it was like you would have thought that she was on the screen. That's how iconic that name drop was. Like people were I re I do remember people talking about it. And I mean, it was like a oh, holy shit. He said it. He said the thing out loud like he said it. And I was like, she's real. <laughs> yeah, just acknowledging her on screen. Fucking wild. Anyway, awesome. we sort of get the impression Ahsoka has watched this a whole bunch of times. Right. This is a this is not her first time watching this. This is not her first time watching this. She does have a comment to Hu Yang where she's basically like, you know, she does acknowledge out loud that Anakin was a good master, which I really like because so much of the first episode was her like doubting him and doubting herself and her training through him. Like that was the journey she's been on in the background of this series was she's been going through this journey of reconciliation. And so having encountered Anakin and then Vader and then Anakin in the world between worlds, she has now reconciled her relationship with Anakin Skywalker. And she's now prepared to take the good parts of that forward into her, her training of Sabine as we will see in the next episode. 
And I like how they made a point or she made a point to say he made about 20 or so recordings. And I was like, so they're going to come back later then, because why would you say there's more than one recording if you weren't going to like theoretically show them down the line, possibly in season two? Like, maybe we'll come watch on. a recording for the this week's adventure because we need advice. Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's something that they've set up. Uh, I, I really I want to see Sabine interact with uh, the Anakin recording. I think I, that's what I well, that's what I thought when I was watching this. I was like, has Sabine not seen these? Has she not? S- no, she only trained with Ahsoka, which was a weird choice. Ahsoka's, Ahsoka's been gatekeeping Anakin from everyone because yeah. Anakin became Vader. She doesn't trust Anakin's teachings. Oh, that's true. She doesn't trust that he was a good master. She thinks almost kind of that he corrupted her. Or that he laid the groundwork for her eventual and perhaps to her inevitable corruption. So perhaps we will see Anakin and Anakin's hologram and Sabine in the same scene going forward, just because, yeah, that's that's a thing that can happen now. They have a conversation about the odds being astronomically low, to which my note reads, never tell Ahsoka the odds. <laughs> I want to talk for just a second about Thrawn laying these mines right where the Purgle are going to come out. And my note goes, of course he laid mines here because of course he remembers where the Purgle brought the Chimera out of hyperspace. Right, yeah. He already has pre-knowledge of He has the data in the Chimera system of where the access point was. And over the last 10 years or so, since the end of Rebels, because it's been about 10 years... He almost certainly has seen Pergo come out of hyperspace in that exact area. So he knows this is exactly where I need to lay the mines. Because of course, of course, Thrawn knows that information and was thinking about it. Right. I do love Ahsoka and Hu Yang's banter back and forth. Just generally, I love these two as a pairing, like to interact on this show. Section 3. Enoch reports to Thrawn a single Jedi shuttle appeared in the minefield. Thrawn is given Ahsoka's file by Morgan and is surprised to learn her master was General Anakin Skywalker. Thrawn decides to withdraw the pursuing fighters, stating there is no need to waste resources, and Morgan questions this decision, but Thrawn sees Ahsoka as unpredictable and potentially dangerous if she resembles her master. Thrawn says that he will be one step ahead of Tano no matter which direction she takes. So we get like a low angle shot on the like penetrating castle and it's got like the little Malachor like type statues of the Night Sister statues that are dotted around the landscape and it's just really beautifully lit like it's such a cool shot. The landscape of Peridia is beautiful. I, I, I see what you mean when you say Lord of the Rings-esque. It's just so grand. Like it's like it's like one thing in like a giant field basically is what like all these landscapes seem to like represent. That's very Lord of the Rings-esque. It's like these giant monuments of things and then little, you know, in like random places. It feels ancient. It feels fantastical. It feels not normal for this universe. And I just right. love the design of Peridia a lot. I'm very excited to spend more time here. Uh, Morgan mentions having gotten the information from the Inquisitorial database. Uh, Not sure how she got that information. I'm assuming. I can't believe we're actually bringing him up again. Merrick maybe got it. That's what I was thinking. 
I don't know. That's what I was thinking. It has to, I mean, it, it would have to be that or something similar to that because yeah. although maybe that the inquisitorial database, maybe that could be theoretically public record, I guess. If it's, it's definitely not. You don't think they would have put it in like they would the New not Republic have, records or something? They would not have put that in the New Republic records. They would have deleted the fuck out of that data. Interesting. Although we do know, we do know from The Force Awakens that the archives of the Empire survived. Because that's where Kylo Ren gets most of the map to Octo. Ah, uh, okay. But he's missing the piece of it that they're trying to get from BB-8. The Force Awakens was a wild movie. I, I already, okay, here's what I think. Now I'm going to have this like weird headcanon. Maybe a book or novel will come later where we find out the real story of Merrick where he somehow downloaded the entire Inquisitorious hard drive and stole it and escaped before, you know, Vader was able to, you know, knock them all off. And that's, he just kept it for safekeeping and then just happened to get employed by Morgan. And she was like, can I have this real quick? And he's like, sure. I, I have no idea. It would help if they would give us any fucking information about Merrick at all. That would, I, I challenge Lucasfilm to do that in the next year, please. Thank you. <laughs> Watch them do it in the next nine days. I, I was going to say, that's my prediction. All right, here we go. Uh, the Merrick novel will be announced uh, in the next nine days. That's my That's not, that's hopes. definitely not going to happen. <laughs> uh. The face that Thrawn pulls when he reads Anakin Skywalker's name. This is the face, the, the acting choice and the directing choice to have Thrawn make this particular. This is the man who has been through Thrawn alliances. This is the man who is fully aware of Anakin Skywalker bullshit. And I love that he he remembers like he actually goes, oh, shit, like I all that stuff in Chaos Rising or whatever happened, like uh, all the stuff in or was it is it Chaos Rising or is it Chaos Rising? So it, the twist of Chaos Rising is it's happening at the same time as oh, the oh, Anakin okay. flashbacks and Thrawn Alliances. But the original one is Alliance. You're thinking of right. Thrawn Alliances. Oh, OK, OK. Spoilers for Chaos Rising, but that's the twist in Chaos <laughs> was, Rising. There you go. Whoops. The book has been out forever. If you were going to read it, you you had read that's it. It's a minor spoiler. Uh, but yeah, Chaos Rising and, and Thrawn Alliances do happen at the same time. Gotcha. So yeah, uh, that's they, what it he remembers those. He remembers the uh, the books happened. He remembers the book. He briefly re looks at the screen and then remembers the books happened. Right. And was like, oh shit, I remember my annoying coworker from twenty years ago, thirty years ago. <laughs> it was about thirty years ago. Fuck. Yeah. Remember that time Palpatine made me go do this thing with Darth Vader? Well, spoiler alert, I found out that he was Anakin Skywalker the whole time, and it was great. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is definitely the face of a man that knew Anakin and is like, oh, God damn it, it's mini Anakin. What the fuck is going on with Enoch's hologram? Because it's not a hologram, kind of. It's not the traditional hologram. Right. I think it's this. I think we saw a little bit of it in a previous episode where it was on the Eye of Scion and Morgan was talking to somebody on there. I think it was very similar where it was like, it's just a magical hologram, but it's like it's kind of like a technology. vaguely magic. Yeah, it's weird. It's Windows like 98 it. versus it's Windows 98 hologram. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's I think that's what it is. It's the very old, old, old technology of hologram before the vintage Star Wars hologram happens in the 70s. I don't know. I, it's really like or I guess even in the Phantom Menace, they have a hologram so bef even before even that in the high republic they have yeah. regular holograms like okay so who knows this is how clearly old some old is. technology yeah 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 i will say that it is very very funny to me that ahsoka is basically like hmm someone is using good tactics and there's only one person in the empire who does that this must be thrawn 
it's like yeah no that's that's a complete that completely tracks that absolutely tracks section four the no tea caravan crosses the plane while sabine updates ezra on the past 10 years what the ghost crew has been up to and ahsoka taking her on as an apprentice Balin and Shin and the mercenaries seem to catch up to the caravan. Meanwhile, Thrawn seeks the aid of the Great Mothers to locate Ahsoka. Hu Yang struggles to locate Ren on all of his scans, prompting Ahsoka to call out to Sabine through the Force. This allows the Great Mothers to pinpoint her location, and Thrawn tells Enoch to contact the fighter group and have them re-engage the opponent. They begin to attack Ahsoka's ship. Sabine and Ezra have, have this exchange. The Emperor died, that's what people say. When she said that, I said... Sabine, now I know you haven't seen the sequel trilogy. <laughs> you cannot tell me you know that Palpatine ain't dead. Like, I just love it, though. Like, Bradley, I love that there are there are people who firmly believe that Elvis Presley is, did not die. And actually, that's what I thought was so funny about this scene, because, of course, nobody would believe the galactic emperor it just randomly died because some dude showed up to his house and assassinated him. And then now we're free from the empire. Like, no, he's probably living off somewhere like hiding. <laughs> the whole um, the whole like premise of the Star Wars mobile game, I forget what the name of it was, uh, but some references it to it survive is there was one particular imperial governor that basically basically locked down his whole sector and was like, no, the Emperor's still alive. And like people that lived in that sector very genuinely believed that the Emperor was still alive. So like that was the thing that happened. Also, there were people who didn't necessarily buy it. And you know, as time goes on, people start buying it more. But I just love that little nod to the fact that that Palpatine's going to eventually return somehow. Yeah. And also that she anticipated it and she's not even like trying to like be serious too much. Like she's like, yeah, that's what they say. Like, Sabine and- has our curse. Sabine predicted this is a joke and then it happened. And it's so funny, too, because I wonder, I mean, I don't know where the show is going in the future, where Ezra's character is going to go in the future, but it would be interesting to see if he makes it to the sequel trilogy at all and finds out that the Emperor returns in some capacity. It would be interesting. I don't know if that's the case, but it would be interesting to see what his thoughts are like, oh, shit, the Emperor is back. Like, that would be a big deal for him. Especially since he's had a direct personal confrontation with the Emperor. <laughs> he's literally seen him before. He's so, literally yeah. seen him before and was like, he knows what the Emperor is. Right. We do get some confirmation as to what Zeb is actually doing. He is training recruits. Uh, that's apparently what his job actually is. Uh, that's on, why he didn't show up for base. some reason. That's why he isn't showing up to things. He is not actually a pilot. He is a flight. He's like an instructor. I like it. Uh, no mention of Callus. But okay, you're not going to mention his husband. You can mention Hera. You can mention Zeb. You can't mention Zeb's husband. I'm going to go out on a limb and say either his husband is not on in the New Republic space. I'm assuming he's probably on New Lyrasan. I think he's on Lyrasan. I'm thinking he's on Lyrasan because maybe the ex-ISB officer doesn't want to be anywhere near the New Republic. Which is probably a good idea because I don't know if the New Republic's going to be like, well, well, no, I say that, but just kidding. Mandalorian has proven otherwise that they just yep. open up everybody with open arms. Like, well, come on back. Well, so it's, it's different different when it's random grunt number 17 on the imperial star destroyer that they're rehabilitating versus the fucking isb 
the, the FBI agents. We've seen Andor. <laughs> we know what the ISB is capable of, what they have done. That's very like, true. What it takes to be an ISB agent. And Callus was one of the best ISB agents. You had another theory about where Callus was? No, that I mean, I, what you said, Lear, Lirasan or whatever. I think Lirasan. that's where he is. Like, he's either chilling there or he's dead. He's not dead. <laughs> so I reject your second theory on the grounds of it being wrong. He's on Lirasan. Great. Got it. Ezra and Sabine have such sibling energy. I... They do. They do. When Sabine is like, no. Because when Sabine is like, uh, yeah, I trained with Ahsoka, and Ezra's immediate reaction is, really? I mean, that's great and all, but like, are you sure? that i have had that interaction with my sibling okay i can see that i it's it's hard for me because i feel like they were in at least like the first two seasons of rebels it was kind of like a silly like oh he's just a little kid and she saw him as like a little kid like don't bother me and then in the later seasons he's clearly you know trying to be more of like i've grown up or whatever but then even then there was really no like relationship there he drops the romance subplot pretty quick right after season after season one and earlier in ahsoka he explicitly like calls her he basically points out they grew up together she's like a sister to him you know what i'll i'll take that because i think because we find out that her entire family is dead and she doesn't have a brother anymore that is true this is essentially her surrogate connection yeah yeah tristan wren is dead so this is why she wants to find family she had yeah that is it that i never even made that connection her family died that's why she wants to find ezra because he's the only family that she has left he's literally like her only sibling like left I get it. Although Ezra does point out that she trained before, and I'm like, yes, she did in one of the best episodes of Rebels. Yeah, I wonder why he's like, so, uh, wonder whatever happened to that, uh, Darksaber. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible news. Horrible About news. what happened to the Darksaber. We bring in the Great Mothers, who are my favorite. I want whatever they have going on. I really hope they are. Well, I mean, I feel like they will be a bigger deal in the second season. Um, oh, not sure. that they weren't a big deal now, but I feel like I I almost feel like the plot is almost centered around them in the second season. Once we find out like kind of the ending. So I feel like they're going to be a big player in the next couple things that are Star Wars. I 100% agree. Uh, I think they're being set up as the Sabaoth to this heir to the Empire, which is a fucking phenomenal choice. Absolutely amazing choice to do this. I love it a lot. I also love how Morgan, did you notice Morgan's chanting along with them? I did. I thought though it was more of a like, I don't know if she was necessarily doing anything. I feel like it was more of her like just trying to be a part of it, but I don't know. It's if a she religious was like a, devotion thing. Right. I don't think she was affecting their spell or whatever they were actually doing. I think she was more of just like respectfully joining in. I don't know if it was necessarily like a right. causing thing to happen. Maybe but. adding some of her power to theirs. Like, yeah, that's true it's a ritual it's a ritual the night sisters are very big on ritual they're very 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 big on ritual that's an important thing in their society an important thing in their culture an important thing in their religious beliefs is the power of community and the power of ritual so it would completely make sense that it would just be a cultural thing to if you are familiar with the words to a ritual and you are watching it be performed to chant along with what is happening and that is a lot of extrapolation based on one shot of morgan saying some words in a whisper i want to talk about the direction of the scene in which ahsoka finds sabine because we she's directly centered which bradley as you and i know never fucking happens it's a really uncomfortable shot right you are not supposed to do it unless you have a good reason because it's really uncomfortable for the audience it is flat on ahsoka it is flat on sabine going back and forth and this cut back and forth scene 
this is super reminiscent of the other times we've seen people trying to do the like force connection thing. Particularly, I have noted the scene where Ahsoka herself finds out that Anakin is Vader and also Vader finds out that Ahsoka is alive. And my other note is the scene in Empire Strikes Back where Luke calls out to Leia, aka the first time we ever see on screen Leia exhibiting any sort of force sensitivity. Right. It's very, yeah, you're right. It's very similar because it's in the same way Sabine, quote unquote, doesn't have force powers, but then is somehow able to sense or feel Ahsoka's presence in some capacity. Yeah, this might be one of the first times we're seeing directly Sabine's, you know, force senses are opening more. Right. That the, the journey that Sabine has been on to learn faith and learn trust and learn to trust herself and learn to trust other people is starting to discipline her and open her up to this for these force experiences that she's having, which is I think this is the first time she's most directly like interfacing with the force, which is really neat that they've shot this this way of flipping back and forth between Ahsoka Sabine, Ahsoka Sabine, Ahsoka Sabine, boom, Claudia Black. Because the final thing is it cuts to her in the same position. Right, because she's almost like also there with them. She's, like, it's like, she's yeah. listening in on the call. Right. She's like an interloper that. in the scene. When she pops up, it's jarring because she's framed in the same way as Ahsoka and Sabine. So visually, the visual shorthand of this is she is also sensing this connection. She is in this connection. She's in this moment. Yeah, it was good. Just boom. Fantastic. My final note for this sequence is I do love Thrawn playing his little like RTS game in front of him where he's moving his little troops around. I did think that was very cool. He, I mean, that's his th that's his thing, right? That's like his thing. His, his thing is like Battleship. Like he's just like, OK, I know yeah, where all the players are. Battleship. My chessboard, like I got to move everybody around the chessboard. That's it. I, I love that that little board that he has out there. I think that's very cool and fun. Section five, the caravan stops and notices Balin and Shin in the distance. Balin has Shin notify Thrawn of their location and gives her a final lesson. The mercenaries ride toward the caravan and Thrawn dispatches a group of night troopers as backup. The mercenaries begin their attack on the Nodi caravan and then they are forced to stop and close rank. In the skies above, Ahsoka is being pursued by starfighters. Ahsoka decides to join the fight below and jump out of her ship and Huyang leads the starfighters away. However, Ahsoka is dropped right in front of Balin and the two begin to duel. Uh, I wrote down the quote, impatience for a victory will guarantee defeat, which is what Balin tells Shen. This will almost certainly be Shen's downfall. I love that because, yeah, because her thing is always like head first, like go in pretty strong, like not think about the thing that you're going to do. It's just like, nah, let's just kill these fuckers. Like, <laughs> like we don't care about anything else because she's quote unquote more powerful than them. So she feels like she doesn't need to do that other stuff. She sees everybody else as weaker than her. So therefore, she's very headstrong. My only thing is like in this scene where they're talking is why she doesn't go like she says, oh, you're not going to you're not going to come with us or whatever. And then he's like, no. And then she doesn't like fight him on that. Like I wanted her to have like resentment and be like, what the fuck? You, you have continued my grand tradition, your grand <laughs> tradition of sniping my next note out from under me <laughs> before I says it. Cause my next note reads yeah. and then Balin just fucking leaves. It's weird. It's like, I needed him to be like, hey, I'm going to go do this instead of like, nah, that's not my plan. Your plan is, your path is something else. My path is this. I have to go away. You go do your thing and you take your place in the, the coming empire or whatever. And it's like, what, girl, what are you doing? What, what do you mean? Why are you? 
uh, I mean, he's continuing to encourage her worst tendencies. He's basically turning her loose to go do the thing she shouldn't be trying to do. But at the same time, like, yeah, it is. This was why this was why sort of one thing I disliked. The big thing I disliked is because this particular scene desperately needed a little bit more or at least some acknowledgement as to why Shen seems perfectly OK with this because she's been in lockstep with him the whole time. Right. And the, when they have that conversation, she's not questioning him in any sort of like, you know, rebellion kind of way. She's not trying to push back against him. She's trying to learn from him. She's trying to seek to understand. Right. And so for her to then have the scene and be like, wait, you're going away. And he's like, yep. And she's like, OK, that tracks. It's a little yeah. it's a little weird to me. Yeah, it's weird. And also, I want to know, like, what her like like what was his plan originally like let's just say like he got there and sabine and ahsoka and all that stuff wasn't happening would he have abandoned her anyway like wh yes. or was he going to or take he might her... have taken her with him right we don't know because i mean obviously we don't know what his plan is yet because we haven't even gotten past well maybe we'll find out in the uh, finale maybe we won't i don't know but we'll get some hints of the finale i do love that the noti fight with slingshots because of course I, they have slingshots of course they have slingshots because i wonder who taught them how i to wonder who taught them how to do that i also like that they do kind of end up circling up the wagons mm -hmm. uh obviously i'm skipping over a lot of this fight sequence it's very cool yeah, but i like that fight. they circle yeah. up the wagons because clearly this is a thing that they've practiced like there's there's indications that the noti have ways to deal with bandits and things like that uh because they're they're like things turn out to be like pretty impenetrable their little houses turn out to be pretty impenetrable. Right. And they also clearly have like ta caravan tactics. My next note, and I don't even remember which time this is in reference to, uh, but generally Amanis Fondi is so Ezra Bridger, it's physically painful. Like he does exact movements the way Ezra does them in animation. It's insane. He just is Ezra. I mean, it, it is. He what is, it is Ezra. Like, he is Ezra. Uh, my final note is I, I do like how Balin and Ahsoka, when they start their fight, they do once again play with stances a little bit. Like they are kind of they are kind of having like this stance off for a minute and then they fight. But I'm saying they play these little stance game for a second. And I did like that a lot. Section six. Finally, Ezra and Sabine begin to fight the mercenaries on the ground. Shin finally joins the fight and attacks Ezra and Sabine. Just as Thrawn's troops start to fly in, Ahsoka is able to flee her fight with Balin after Hu Yang shoots at them from above. Meanwhile, Thrawn's troops move in and surround the caravan. Thrawn notices Balin has fucked off. Just as they are surrounded, Ahsoka joins the fight. Thrawn recalls the gunships, happy with the outcome of the battle and distracting Ahsoka long enough. With the troops leaving, Shin is forced to flee, outnumbered by our heroes, and the group is finally reunited. Yeah, you really just blew through like 10 minutes right there. Yeah, because it, I mean, it was mostly action. I mean, it's its hard to like section action off. Like, I, it really does suck, but it is what it is. I like Ezra going, the whole, Ezra's whole sequence where he's like, the force is my ally. And then he proceeds to beat the shit out of a bunch of bandits with his bare hands. I mean, he doesn't have too much of a choice other than the fact that, I mean, he has been on this planet for 10 years alone without a lightsaber. So he would have had to really hone his force skills and be like, oh, yeah. this is all I got. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do like the implication that he doesn't necessarily need the lightsaber. Now, we will see next episode. It would be stupid of him to not have a lightsaber. Right. But he doesn't really need it. Sure. He's learned to adapt his fighting style and it works pretty well. Like he holds his own for a minute against Shin later on. But none of that matters because the Nodi hits a, a bandit with a frying pan. And it's the fucking best thing. I love how the Nodi are just there. Like they're, the I mean, they're, just they're sort of 
there. They're like just kind of there trying to do their best, but it's just kind of like, you guys, please stay inside. Like we we will handle <laughs> we this. We have this. We have this. <laughs> just whacking the guy with the frying pan, I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Shin swings her lightsaber at Ezra so close it actually singes his hair. Which I thought would mean that he was going to cut his hair later. Like, because she did that, it was like, well, fuck, my hair's already fucked up. So now I got to get a haircut in the next episode. I thought they were going to do that. They did. They do not end up doing that, by the way. But doesn't mean that he's not going to get a haircut in the next season, possibly. I assume. I think hair is going to make him cut his hair. I think so, because it's looking a little shaggy, but I like it. It's but, you know, it's She's a like, let me reintroduce you to the concept of a razor. Right. Uh, he does stop the blade with his hand, which is very cool. That looked, it was very reminiscent of, I don't know what movie it's in. It's in one of the sequel movies, but it was very similar in that it's like, you can see the energy of the blade moving away from the force. Like it was just so. I think it's Rise of Skywalker. It's one of them. I don't remember which one, but. It's Rise of Skywalker. It's when they're fighting on the Death Star. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's Rise of Skywalker when they're fighting on the Death Star. I believe you. I just, I don't remember. Yes, it, it just looks so visually cool. Like, I love seeing the energy of the lightsaber, like, dissipating almost. Like, it's like, whoa, he's using a lot of force right now. <laughs> I like it. Then he gets taken out anyway. Uh, so uh, we can get back uh, to the episode four dynamics with Shin and Sabine fighting and Ahsoka and Balin fighting. We're right back here. We're right back where we started. Yep. Uh, once again, I must shout out the music from Kevin Kiner. Uh, the reprise of Balin's, like, hard piano mm-hmm. notes when he's fighting ahsoka just chef's kiss uh and then she ahsoka just steals balan's howler and fucks off <laughs> that i thought was funny because he says something like along the lines of like oh we're so i guess we're evenly matched or something like that and she goes yeah well i don't really have to worry about that and then all of a sudden hu yang distracts him and then she like fucks off and i was like yeah that's probably the best plan that's a very ahsoka plan yeah i like, like it. that's a very ahsoka plan she's like i don't have time for that. uh okay i thought we wouldn't have to do this I really thought we wouldn't have to do this this time around. I thought we could get through one TV show in the Mandoverse without having to deal with a fucking flamethrower scene. Well, you would be wrong, Charles, because how can you have a Mandalorian in this show? And then that Mandalorian doesn't use their said flamethrower at least once. Now, I will say (laughs) Sabine is using the flamethrower correctly here, the wrist mounted flamethrower. It's not trying to burn Shin. It's shock and awing trying to drive her back so Sabine can recover, which is, this is the correct strategic use of it, I have to say. Right. Uh, just sort of momentarily blast her in the face. It's it's like a more advanced version of like a smoke thing that you can toss in somebody's face. Sure. Which like throwing sand in somebody's face. Didn't Shin try that in the last, or not last episode, like two episodes ago where she threw a smoke bomb down and then she was like... Yeah, but I also think that Sabine like threw something in Shin's face at one point i i don't really remember i will probably take him now that i've got it in my brain i will be watching that fight in episode four closely when i go to right. marathon the series to do our recap uh this will be of course after i'm finishing watching young jedi adventures which of course i'm watching of course of course i'm watching young jedi did you people think i wasn't going to watch young jedi adventures at some point as charles I is mean, a child okay i mean come on i enter <laughs> my inner child listen right fucking listen okay I, when i have had a hard day at work and it is been a hard day at work for reasons i will tell you about off mic it has been just a hard really fucking hard two weeks coming home 
and watching some younglings learn important lessons about patience and friendship is like injecting serotonin directly into my fucking brain. It is like taking it in a needle and just whacking it into my temple and just injecting it straight in. I, I put, I watch an episode of that show and I'm like, I will now go about my whole evening feeling better because I have learned a valuable lesson about helping people in need. Sometimes we all need a reminder in the power of friendship. Okay? It's true. And so I don't blame you for needing that daily. <laughs> yes. <laughs> After I get off of work, I need a reminder of the value of patience. Speaking of patience, the Heller's just sort of waiting it out inside the the noty thing. Yeah. I was like, so clearly he is just a puppy. Like he's just like a dog. Like he's just, yeah, like, he's just okay, like a little he's just a because he's just he's a good locked boy. in this little cage with the turtle people, and it's just like, okay, this is fine. Sabine also has a as Ezra, she didn't really need him. Right. But he's a good boy. He's a good boy. Sure. And keep him out of the fight. He's a good boy. Uh we ha- we have to talk about. We have to talk about the scene where Ezra is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you want to take us prisoner? Because that's don't his you, thing. Don't you want to do prison? That's his thing. Talking, trying to talk the enemy down and like fuck with them is his thing. And Amon plays it so well. He really does. And I thought it was so funny. I was like, what does he think? Like, I, I get that like that's always his tactic, but it's also like, what does he think is going to happen in this scenario? Like he's going to fuck with him and then he's going to come up with a better plan. I love it. That's what's going to happen. I do want to talk about the night troopers for a second. OK, let's talk about the night troopers that have come in and surrounded them. Right. So it was at this moment that I we were talking about it last time. We were like, we can't really talk about them, but we because we don't really know what they are or whatever. This is where the little there's one sentence on the Wikipedia that actually makes sense. They say basically what the Wikipedia says. I can't really find the exact quote, but what it says is that some of them are alive and some of them are not. And so therefore, I believe at this point, this group is regular, alive, imperial people. They're just in these makeshift stormtrooper outfits, but they are regular dudes who survived because I was going to look up like how many stormtroopers are on a Star Destroyer normally or whatever. And then I thought about it. I was like, and how many did Ezra murder uh, when he took them into space like that? Probably not all of them. And probably a good few are alive. We've always joked that if we ever were to cover Star Wars Rebels, we would keep track of how many stormtroopers people under the age of 18 murder. Right. And so you have to think like they most of the soldiers are living people like they they have to be. It's just obviously the like we'll find out in the next episode. The ones that are dead are the ones that we'll talk about. But the ones that are alive that somehow survived Ezra's we'll talk we'll call it uh attack on the chimera okay i found it i found it it's in the description uh quote from wikipedia uh night troopers were all energized by the magic of the great mothers granting them an inhuman level of persistence still most of the soldiers were living people and then it says something else that'll be relevant later on okay but that's what i mean like so they're clearly like so many of them that they're alive so they're just yeah they're they're not all just reanimated corpses running around right they're just people the question is how many Many of them are reanimated corpses running around. Right. So that does well, answer our yeah. question last week of like, is there a trooper whose job it is to train the Howlers? Well, probably a trooper that's still alive, that right, has survived because, for 10 yeah. years. That, again, I need to know more about the night troopers. I need to know how many of them are actually troopers that survived for the last 10 years and how many of them are troopers who died for some reason, but they keep bringing them back. 
Right. Because you have to also think like if let's say the battalion is we'll just say a thousand people, right? Like let's say it's a thousand stormtroopers on a Star Destroyer. I don't know what the number is, but let's just say it's a thousand. How is Thrawn feeding these people, housing these people? How many provisions do they have on the Chimera? Like, you know, what is the kind of thing? Like, and then is it does it make more sense to just have half of them dead? Because then they don't really need to eat and bathe and do stuff, you know? They're not people. It brings up such an interesting question because so the horror of zombies, like not zombies in the George Romero sense that we think of, but one of the earliest horrors of the concept of the zombie. And I don't I don't want to speak too much of an authority on this, but one of the horrors of the concept of the zombie was that zombies would originally be raised as servants. So the idea of the horror of the zombie was that you did not escape servitude. You were if you died, death was not a release your body would be resurrected to continue to serve someone. And so this almost kind of lends this horror to the night troopers of you you signed up for this fascist regime, you don't get to get out of it. You don't get to get out of it by being dead. They will keep using your body over and over and over again until it essentially has no more use in it left. And you dying does not exempt you from that. It is fucking horrific. It is fucking terrible. And I desperately need it to be explored in more stuff because it's such an interesting concept. I could see them doing another, like, you know how you covered the... Death Troopers. Death Troopers novel. I think like I could see them doing a novel called like Night Troopers. Yeah, they could hire Joe Schreiber to write it. I mean, it I would, would be interesting. Support. Joe Schreiber did a really good job with Death Troopers. I think that would be so interesting. And then it would take place within that 10 year span before the Ahsoka show to find out like how Thrawn, you know, meets the Night Sisters and all that. Like it would be that would be such a good book. Like I could I could see that being a fucking novel. Like that would be good. There's a joke I desperately want to make here, but it is a spoiler for Death Troopers. And I do think people should go read Death Troopers. (laughs) But I will say that whole what do you eat thing? I feel like Joe Schreiber would have a really horrible explanation for that. And I'm I'm waiting for that answer. Uh-huh. Everyone, Death Troopers is very good. If you like horror, if you like really, really visceral zombie horror, go read Death Troopers. It's it's fucking phenomenal. Uh <laughs> Shen tries to pull some shit bullshit, but you know, that's Ahsoka. So it's not gonna work on Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, she's not gonna Shin's like, I need to cut my losses here because Ahsoka. Yeah. <laughs> She, she makes the right call and just fucks off. Right. Also, I love how I did. I don't know if I talked about this earlier, but I love that Shin's um, howler is like almost white compared to all the other howlers. Like she has like essentially the uh, Game of Thrones, like ghost version of the howler. Like hers is the albino howler. It's so cute because it's like a slightly different color than all the other ones. Yeah, she has like a white wolf, almost yeah. kind of maybe kind of calling back to the Hobbit movies a little bit. I think where the guy w- like rides a white warg. I don't know. And they're like, I the haven't leader. rewatched the Hobbit movies in so long. Now that you said that out loud, I just Actually, realized... what the fuck? I have the Lego. No, I can look at it. Yeah, I'm I'm physically looking at the other side of the screen. Like, or I'm looking at the other side of my room. I literally have two bookshelves full of the Hobbit Legos. Yeah, no, it's... It, it, the bad guy in The Hobbit rides a white warg. Right, it's very... supposed to be very... Like, I guess it's supposed to be very reminiscent of that, of, like, the leader of the group is, where, like, riding the white one versus the... Right. The rest of the ones that are riding just regular black ones. Love it. So 
Thrawn gets a scene where he once again explains his evil plan. <laughs> Love it. He uh, He's like, hey, uh, Morgan, guess what? I won I, today. I might make a suggestion to uh, our friends over at the Dark Side Divas for a Thrawn explains his evil plan counter because he does do this a lot, especially in Ahsoka. Yeah, it's we like a third time another scene. Plan. It's the yeah. third time, third or fourth time <laughs> right. he has outlined his evil plan. Now he has a fucking, he's so sick of explaining his evil plan by now he has a powerpoint he's literally calling up images and being like here is my evil plan here is my evil plan so everybody just kind of fucks off and leaves shin and i'm like yeah hey shin you're being betrayed buddy this is what balin knew was gonna happen and it's weird that she doesn't go after balin like i thought like because he's not i mean he's not i guess he couldn't have gotten that far you know what i mean and i wonder why she didn't just like go link up with him like and i don't know what the plot is going to do later but this is the moment where we kind of fuck off about shin and we never really talk about her yeah i was gonna make a sarcastic comment as soon as you were finished talking like yeah i really hope it gets explained in the finale why shin does what she does at the final scenes and nope we will yeah. not as of yet get that explanation this i'm sure that explanation is like. coming right but we do not as of yet get the explanation she gets betrayed by the empire which balin almost certainly knew what was happening was goading into her learning that she can't trust anybody she has to operate completely on her own and then she fucks off right uh, the only real note that i have for for the the reunion scene because it's such a nice scene is the fact that natasha and rosario's faces like they have this wonderful wordless exchange between them before they even speak and i love that a lot and my final note is wow what a hopeful ending yeah i i I love that we know everything's gonna work out because ezra says i'm finally going home and well you could (laughs) the ship is there they're right together I mean, they almost kind of should have said, yeah, let's go the fuck home. But I guess they couldn't have gotten home because they don't have an intergalactic. Yeah, so here's the problem with that. (laughs) So when they got to Peridia by riding on the Pergil was how they did it. So they're going to have to like, and we know that the Pergil come here to die. So it's a one way trip for the Pergil when they come to Peridia. The ones we saw leaving were leaving because they were in danger. We know the Pergo can get back, but they don't generally come here unless somebody makes them. Normally they come here to die. So you can't use the Pergo to get back. Your only choice is to use the Chimera and the Eye of Scion to get back. And I'm sure that will be relevant next week. Bradley, who directed and wrote this episode? This episode was directed by Gita Vasant Patel, uh, known for shows such as House of the Dragon, The Great, and Superstore. This episode was written by Dave Filoni. Of course it was. Which episode of House of the Dragon did she do? I didn't go that far into her uh, career, but she. what's funny is she does either comedy or drama. Like it's either or, which I thought was hilarious um, because all of her comedies that she does, I actually have seen and they're hilarious. Like Superstore is one of my favorite shows ever. And she's done five episodes of Superstore. And it's, I'm like, ah, that makes so much sense. She's also done the Mindy Project, which I like, I get it now. I get her like comedy. So like her directing comedy, like that's so funny to me. Oh, she directed uh, episode eight, The Lord of the Tide. Charles, you're going to have to pretend like I've never seen that show because I don't remember a single scene from season one. I only remember House of the Dragon because I read Fire and Blood. Uh, See, here's the thing with House of the Dragon. (laughs) If you're not obsessed with House of the Dragon, you watched it and then you do not remember what the fuck happened in that show. All right, Bradley, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? I thought it was a good episode. I My only issue is that I feel like... 
these back three episodes feel like a one big movie and watching them in three different episodes is kind of bad like you don't need to watch them week to week like i don't think they have good cliffhangers in that they you're like oh i wonder what's gonna happen next week like we know what's gonna happen next week because it's they're literally have set up the entire plot of the three episodes and it's like the first two kind of feel like they're just pushing them into the finale which honestly i don't think is enough time like i need another episode i don't think that it was like these episodes don't they don't work for me but that's just because i think there's not enough episodes in the season but we need two one, more episodes. Yeah, this, but I do feel like this is definitely the middle arc of the three episodes. It does make sense because now our our heroes are back together. Our villains have separated into the true actual villain is now revealed as Thrawn, and our antagonists have fucked off. We don't know where they're going with their storyline. Maybe we'll find out in the finale where their storyline is going on, or maybe we needed two more maybe episodes. We won't find out shit. Explain that, but whatever. Uh, yeah. So I think that's the other thing I have the problem my problem with this episode is that this is the episode where Balin and Shin really fuck off and we don't find out anything else about them until the very 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 end of next the finale and and even then it's not it doesn't explain shit so that's my biggest problem with this episode is that this is their last episode essentially what about you my final thoughts is I I do like this episode I think it's it's mid to low tier Ahsoka for me um it's it's not really doing taking some of the wild swings that some of the other episodes are you know it it lacked a lot of like it lacked a lot of the character moments of the first three it lacked a lot of the punch of episodes four five and six it's it's just kind of here it's it's good like it's well directed the writing is good the action's a lot of fun you'll notice that we spent like 45 minutes talking about the first two scenes of this episode (laughs) yeah and then the entire back half of the episode is the entire rest of it that's because so much of it is action yeah so much of it is this these cool action beats where they're flying around in the ship or they're fighting with the lightsabers or they're fighting to defend the caravan and you know it's a lot of fun action it's 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 great there's not as much meat to it as some of the other episodes but you know it's not it's not bad i didn't hate my time watching it which i didn't hate my time really watching any of these episodes it it doesn't suffer from the same structural problems i think the last two episodes did if only because there really isn't a through line to this one it really is just setting everybody getting ahsoka and everybody back together like that's the whole point of the episode and i'm like okay there's no real emotional through line to it it's mainly teeing things up for the finale and i'm like okay yeah that's that's fine that episode can exist so next week we will be talking about ahsoka season one episode eight we're, we did it bradley we're getting through we're, we're almost to the finale, finale next week uh so just as a reminder what our loose plan is because i know that a lot of people are very very excited for the bad batch to return but just as a reminder we are going to do ahsoka episode eight we are going to do our recap episode which we generally do for these shows and then we are not going to be doing the bad batch right off the bat we are going to be doing visions so we will be releasing the uh twins episode that we recorded in august of last year shortly prior to the SAG-AFTRA bullshit involving the influencer things and all of that, which was the reason we held that episode back. We will finally be releasing that episode, and then we will cover the rest of Star Wars Vision Season 1. Then we will do The Bad Batch Season 3, and we will we will just keep doing this into the void. We have no idea when The Acolyte's going to come out. We have no idea when Skeleton Crew's going to come out, but we're, we're just going to keep pushing things because we really want to get Vision Season 1 done. And we really want a little bit of a buffer with The Bad Batch, so we are going to be covering that into the new year. Pluggables, 
You can watch a bunch of shows that Bradley was involved with on Peacock and Bravo. We only promote one at a time because his list of credits is growing. Currently, we are promoting Married to Medicine Season 10, which I believe is still currently airing. Uh, to my knowledge, it's still airing. To your knowledge, it's still airing. I take it you don't watch your own show? I don't watch any of my shows, actually. Oh, really? Funny enough. Yeah, I, I, I won't go into explaining why, but uh, one day maybe I will, because I think it's actually an interesting philosophy but anyway you and i need to have an episode one of these days where we talk about the other things that we do that aren't star wars someday we will have to one of these days we will do that episode i need to, to where explain we talk myself about... people are like i because i do have people who like even my mom texts me and she she watches my shows and so she'll like text me randomly in the middle of like i'll be eating dinner and she'll be like oh my gosh did they just say this on uh, real housewives or and i was like uh i don't know i don't know what you're watching right now i don't know I didn't actually, I lived it. I just didn't see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also feel like I need to explain myself on a few things um, because I also do some other stuff. I have a series of gay thriller books that's set in an adult film studio that you can find on Amazon Kindle. Uh, it's called Beach House Studios. The word beach house is one word and one H in the middle. Uh, so you can check that out if that sounds like something you're interested in. And also, I'm on the Star Wars High Republic TTRPG podcast for Light and Dice with a bunch of other content creators playing Star Wars 5e and making just an absurd amount of inappropriate jokes. Also, maybe breaking canon, you'll have to listen to find out. All right, well, that's it for this week. Bradley, go ahead and run the socials. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com to let us know. You can also find us on Twitter at at goldsquadgaze, and you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at at goldsquadrongaze. You can also find us on YouTube at our Gold Squadron Gaze YouTube channel, where we post full episodes of this show. Finally, if you liked the show, don't forget to rate us and give us a review on your favorite podcast platform. That allows other people to find our show. As always, thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, they do. They have the ship. No, Ezra takes the ship. No, Ezra takes the car. Oh, never mind. Okay, sorry. I'm cutting this all out. Okay, good. Because you're just, you're functionally I, I was misremembering. <laughs> in fairness, there are a lot of things in the show that I'm like, I do not remember that <laughs> the first time around. I, was gonna, I had to watch this episode twice because as I was doing my notes, I was like, did I put that in the right order? Like, because there's so many scenes that are so similar that I was like, wait, did that happen first? So I had to go back. And as I was watching the episode again, I had to like move stuff in my little thing to make sure it was in the right order. Like it was oh so. So the thing about doing this fucking coverage is because it's like I'm starting to notice all these things. So I'm looking for them now and I'm like, oh, oh, that's where that was the entire time. Right. You're cutting this whole section out or possibly putting it at the end. doesn't matter if we make a particularly good dick joke later on. That might go at the end. There you go.